If you'll open your Bible, please, to the book of Proverbs in chapter number 29, Proverbs chapter 29. If you're one of those of us <laughs> that each day you read the proverb of the day, you read this yesterday. Yesterday was the 29th of February, leap year. We don't have that every year. And today is March the 1st, and I encourage you, if you've never read the proverb of the day, today is March 1st, so it's Proverbs one day, and tomorrow will be Proverbs 2, Proverbs 3, etc. And then you'll read through the whole book of Proverbs uh, this month. Proverbs teaches us how to get along with people, and we all need a lesson in that, at least I know I do. And I think all of us do. Well, in our proverb yesterday, if you look in Proverbs 29 and look in verse 18, have no idea what translation you have. The old King James, I think, says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. The new King James says, where there is no revelation. Oh, the same vision, revelation from God, prophetic revelation. And then the New King James says, the people cast off restraint. That little phrase, cast off restraint, means the people become discouraged. Where there's no word from God, you'll become discouraged. But happy is he who keeps the law. So we want to talk this morning about a vision from God. What are we talking about? We're talking about how God reveals things to us. We all, the primary way is the Bible. If you want God to say something to you, here is the primary way he's going to do this. And people who say, well, God never says much to me, if anything, if they'll think, they don't read the Bible much either. You you can't read God's word and God's word never say anything to you. This is God's primary way of speaking to you and to me and to mankind. Now, God has another way. It's not the primary way. But there's another way that God does that. And the Greek word is rhema. You say, what verse in the Bible can I find that verse in my English Bible? None. None. But I'll tell you where the word is translated into English. You might want to jot this down, look at it later. But in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 17, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. If you read those two verses, you'll read the English word, word, W-O-R-D. That's how rhema is translated into English. Now, normally, the word, W-O-R-D, word, is, is translated as the word logos. In the beginning was the word, John 1. That's logos, word. In fact, that's the primary way that uh, that that word is translated. I was even just looking this morning. I didn't mention this in the first service, but uh, I'll do so real quickly in this service. But for example, uh, in John chapter one, you can look later. We run in the beginning was the word. That's the word logos. It's used in the New Testament 330 times. It's used in John's writings in the books he wrote. It's it's used. It's used 65 times, and in the Gospel of John, the word logos is used 36 times. So that's the familiar word. But this other word that's translated in the English Bible as word is rhema. And you say, well, what, what, does this, what does this word rhema mean? It just very simply means a quickened utterance of Scripture or 
the Spirit of God will speak to your spirit. Now, we've all had that. It's amazing. Good illustration. A good illustration of that would be like if you wanted to look it up later in Luke chapter 2. I think it's down about verse 29, where a man named Simeon, who held Jesus, and he said, you know, I knew I would not die. God had told me I would not die until I held the Messiah in my hands. Okay, he had had a rhema. The Spirit of God has spoken that to him. Now, in all of our lives, we've had these experiences. Word of caution, when you think, well, normally the way a rhema works, a Bible verse will just pop in your mind. You'll be going through something, and boop, Bible verse. That's a rhema. That's the Spirit of God taking a verse in His Word and speaking to your spirit about that verse. At other times, it won't be a verse. It'll just be God's Spirit speaking to your spirit. Now, be careful at this point. Always remember, God will never speak from His Spirit to your spirit and contradict the Bible. People get real mixed up. You know, God told me this, God told me that. Well, there'd be 10 Bible verses say that's not true. It always will be in harmony with the inspired Word of God. Now, we're talking this morning about a fresh vision for our church. You know, this whole deal, you know, it sounds like some mystical thing. Look, many times in your life, in all of our lives, God's Spirit has just spoken to our spirit about something we're to do. That's how I knew to be a minister. That's how I knew to leave First Baptist Sulphur Springs and come to First Baptist Pasadena. The Spirit of God, one Thursday afternoon, spoke to my spirit. I've never forgotten that. It's the same way we knew to relocate the church. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I shared it with the people, and God's Spirit spoke to the hearts of many others that we were to relocate the church. There's no verse in the Bible that says move the church from Pasadena Boulevard to 7500 Fairmont Parkway. But when God's Spirit spoke to our spirit, that's a rhema. And, and we knew that. Uh, that's how we knew to start the Christian school. God's Spirit spoke to my heart about that. It's how we knew how to pay off the buildings. There's no verse in the Bible that says, now here's how you pay off building debt. No, no, no. God's Spirit, through that whole journey, would just speak to our spirit. We could go on and on. And you have had the very same kind of experiences if you stop and think about it. There'll be those times God will impress upon your spirit. And it's so real, it's that God just spoke it in your ear. And you know it's from God. It's not just some idea. Now, having said all that, I've laid the foundation. Each Tuesday afternoon, we have two different meetings, one of which is called a worship meeting. And in that meeting, it's really in two phases, the worship meeting. Phase one, there'll be Jimmy, John, myself, Rick, and Carrie, the five of us. And in that phase, we're talking about things we need to do to be ready for this coming Wednesday night, this coming Sunday, this nuts and bolts stuff. And when we get all that handled, then Rick and Jimmy, they go about their way. And then the three of us are left to, to talk about things that, that pertain to worship and what we're trying to do. And those meetings, Jimmy, those meetings can be, how would you, how would you just explain those meetings? Many times they're wonderful, but many more times they're kind of tedious because the there's one per- tedious. Do what? Tedious. That'd be a good word. Now, there's one person that kind of takes up most of the meeting. I usually bring a large coffee so I can drink while he's talking. <laughs> I won't miss any names. I'll just kind of look at the party and wink. <laughs> like, 
sometimes like they're tiring. Do you ever feel tired? In exhausted. Those? Exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but good. If, they're good. Oh, they're necessary. I mean, in fact, they're very necessary. But if you notice, there are three of us in that, in that meeting, and one of the three does most of the talk. Have you yes. ever noticed that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in the last three years, a lot of the, it's the same thing every time type thing. Have you noticed that? But yes. what we've been doing, we share things seriously. Yeah. We brainstorm. Right. And then we talk about things we need to pray about. And then during the week before the next Tuesday, each of us individually will think, pray about those things. And then we'll come back. And, and it's not every Tuesday we go through it. But right. I mean, it's not just every Tuesday we're going to get. We have the worship meeting every Tuesday. But here about two or three weeks ago, God, I felt in my heart, had given me the clear vision, fresh for our church. And then in John's own way, he felt, and you felt the same thing. And then we began to, when you came back from the knee surgery, we said, hey, we're ready to share what we feel. And then we had another week on that. So we've been at this thing over three years. So John, now we don't have three years. So if you'll give us the condensed version, share with us the vision that we're so excited that God has given us for our church. How would y'all like to be sitting where I'm sitting now between the two of them? Because I feel like, uh, I feel like it is Tuesday and it's a worship meeting and I need a Tylenol and it's because <laughs> that's normally the best way to get through well, a Tuesday. Well, we were much nicer today than we normally are in the worship meeting. Well, he's talking about a vision, and you know, vision is so very important for all of our lives. A vi- you know, the word vision implies that you're looking forward, you're yeah. looking ahead, you're seeing what's in front of you. And so it is important that we have a vision from God. And as far as like, you know, what is God's vision for the church, we don't get to just make that up. I mean, that's laid out for us in the Bible. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God's vision for our church and for every church is that we would reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. And so I want to just say that again because that is the vision. That is God's vision for our church to reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. Now, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen I think all of us will agree with that. And so the question is, well, how do we go about doing that? Well, obviously, since we moved in these buildings and and got everything built, and thankfully everything got paid for, we felt God leading us to do beyond these walls, that we would take the gospel beyond the walls of our church, which is our divine responsibility. We have to do that, and we're glad to do that. We're obviously, and so many of you give to that regularly and support that, that part of the church. We're giving to local ministries who are helping people and meeting needs, but who are doing that in the name of Jesus Christ, trying to help people come to know the Lord as Savior. We're also supporting churches Uh, One in Guadalajara, Mexico, one in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, We're looking at partnering with a church in Vancouver, Canada, a new church start. And when we learn more about that, perhaps we'll be able to partner with them and help that church to get started. I believe you're going to Denver in a few weeks to uh, a new church start up in the Colorado area to maybe see if we can partner with them. So we're doing a lot with Beyond These Walls. Even our little radio ministry, God is blessing that. In addition to being on uh, on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on KKHT 100.7, a few months ago we started being on Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock in the evening. And God is blessing that. And we're getting good feedback from people who are listening to that program. And just a few weeks ago, evidently somebody on that station who was on every day at 1 o'clock 
For whatever reason, that ministry had to cancel their program. And so the radio station is just giving us free airtime every day at 1 o'clock, Monday through Friday. So if you're in your car, buy radio Monday through Friday at 1 o'clock or at 6 o'clock, put it on 100.7, and there's Peace by Believing. It's beyond these walls. It's trying to get the gospel beyond the walls of this church. would also ask you to pray for the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Indianapolis, Indiana, because uh, tomorrow... Uh, we will be on, in both of those cities, five days a week, starting tomorrow morning, 8.30 in Pittsburgh and 9.30 in Indianapolis. It's another phenomenal opportunity that God has given us to take the gospel beyond the walls of this church. And so, if God opens the door, we're being certainly financially responsible, but if it's where we feel like we can, we're just by faith walking through that door. So, we are very committed to taking the gospel beyond the walls of our church. You know, the, the sure way for a church not to do well is for us to just have the idea, well, it's we four and no more, and who cares what's happening to the world? No, we got to get the gospel out. But I want to be clear on this. Not only are we committed to trying our best to get the gospel beyond the walls of this church, Amen. we want to do everything we can within the walls of this church to do what? To reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. And so in our meetings, we're talking not only about beyond the walls, but what can we do within the walls in our community to reach more people for Jesus Christ? And so, so that is the question. Well, certainly we want to reach as many people as we possibly can. I look over here and I see our students, our junior high and high school students, and uh, they just had their big breaking free weekend a few weeks ago. We're praying that God would enable us to reach Dozens, dozens, dozens more, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds more, potentially thousands, thousands, and thousands more of students, junior high and high school students. And if you say, Johnny, you think we can reach that many? I think we can if God is in it because there are that many students around us, even in our own First Baptist Christian Academy, well over 500 students. Most of those kids don't go to church anywhere, not here anywhere or anywhere else. So you factor in that school along with the schools in Deer Park and Pasadena and Clear Lake, LaPorte, all around us. We say, God, we want to reach more students. It's such an impressionable age, 15, 16, 17 years old. God, help us to reach the students. But not only them, we want to reach college students. We've got San Jack back here in our backyard, and we want to reach as many college students as we can. We have a good group now, but we want to reach more and more. University of Houston, Clear Lake, right down the road from us now is a four-year school. And University of Houston's not far away at all. So God, help us to reach more college students. We want to reach young single adults. Now, the fact is, we don't have as many young single adults living in a five to ten mile radius of our church as, for example, Lakewood or Second Baptist Houston or First Baptist Houston. Demographic studies tell us that young, there are more young singles who live in apartments over by the Galleria than that live on our side of town. That being said, there are still a pile of young single adults living in this area. And we wouldn't want to use that study as an excuse to say, well, they're all over there. They're not all over there. A lot of them are over there, but a lot of them are here. We want to reach young single adults. They're making critical decisions. Young married adults just starting their families, just getting married. And uh, we have a lot of that in our church, a lot of 20-year-olds just getting married, or maybe they're about to get married. And some of them are starting to have kids, start have their own families. We want to reach young families, young kids, children, preschool. We've got a tremendous preschool and children's ministry. We've got a good young adult ministry, but we want to reach more of that age group. And then we just keep going up the ladder. 
We want to reach my age group, the 35-year-olds. That's who we want to reach. Now, why are y'all laughing when I said that? I'm just making sure oh, they're moving back to make sure lightning doesn't strike. Just teasing, Lord. No, but we want to reach those up from the 20-year-olds. We want to reach, you know, my age group and my serious age group. And then we want to reach those up older from me. And we want to even reach the, the oldest that we could possibly reach. We want to reach the senior adults, as many senior adults as we possibly can. If attrition holds true, that you can make an argument that you need to reach the senior adults more than you need to reach the young adults because the senior adults are getting closer to dying, right? I mean, now they're not the only ones dying. Young people are dying. But I'm just saying, we don't want to do what I'm about to share and not try to reach senior adults. We want to reach as many people of every age group as we can. We are a multi-generational church. Now, what does that mean? It means we've got uh, generations uh, from every, I mean, we've got a, multi, a multitude of people from a lot of different generations. What's happening in church life now that seems to be affect? we're an established church. This church is over 100 years old. People have grown up in this church, got married, had kids, now they got grandkids, and now their kids and grandkids are coming up through the children's ministry and the student ministry. We're an established church. What's happening in church life today, you probably don't need me to tell you, you probably already know if you are a student of this type thing, is that a lot of churches are springing up and the appeal of those churches is everybody's 20 years old, or maybe everybody's early 30 years old. I would never, ever, ever criticize any church that's trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so if we've got a church springing up, and everybody's 25, and they're preaching the Bible and people are being saved, I support that church, I endorse that church, I say, God bless that church. But what I'm saying is we're not a church of just 20-year-olds, and yet we want to reach 20-year-olds. Now, what those churches are going to deal with in 40 years, now they've got a 45-year-old church. And so if those churches stay around long enough, they'll be a multi-generational church. But sometime I'll have somebody say to me, oh, John, we love so-and-so church because everybody's our same age. Everybody's 25. And I say, man, that's awesome. As long as you're going and learning about God and growing in your faith, keep going to that church. But I think to myself... That's going to play out somewhere. You, you're not going to be 25 forever. And like we're a church like ours, we have all ages. So the old people can teach the young people. The young people can learn from the old people. As great as it would be in some ways for everybody to be the same age, it's also great how we have it. I think better how we have it, that we can learn from each other who are in different seasons of life. And so the question is, what can we at First Baptist Church Pasadena do to reach all those people especially those who are not, not even saved and don't go, go to church and don't know the Lord. Well, certainly we would begin by saying, by having quality Sunday school classes, connection groups, Bible studies, by having events like breaking free, retreats, activities, so that if you're in a 20-year-old Sunday school class, couple times a year, your group goes to Astros game. Your group may work on a mission project. You may take a, a trip on a mission trip, or you may do something like that, but we want to have quality Everything we do, quality. Tim Neighbors is our recreation minister. He has, for young families with young kids, a tremendous sports league. They just finished their basketball league yesterday. Probably three or 400 kids were involved in that league. We'll soon have a T-ball a t-ball league starting up. He'll have a soccer league in the fall. And so we want to have excellence and try to reach people in all these areas. And that's happening. But here's the question, and this is how it ties into worship. What can we do in worship, in a worship service to try to reach new people? Well, I think here's the answer to that question. I think this was what Dad was hinting at when he said he felt like this is what God has put on all of our hearts. And that is to offer a new worship 
option that is designed specifically to reach those who have not grown up in a traditional church setting. That's, that's, that's very important how I said that, to have a new worship option designed specifically to reach those who've not grown up in a traditional church setting. Now, at First Baptist, and you certainly know this, you're part of the church, but for, for all these years on Sunday mornings, we have offered two identical worship services. And our intention has been, we want to offer a service that whether you're young or whether you're old, we sing new songs, we sing old hymns, we have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we, our hope and prayer has been that in doing this, everybody could find their niche and find their place in this service. And it has been successful. We have had and do have, thankfully, a lot of people come into the services. And through the years, a lot of people have been reached. But as time has gone on, as the years have passed, and now as two, not one, but two generations of people have been born and grown up in a culture that is an increasingly contemporary culture, not just in church life, but just in the world itself, uh, we are, this is a dramatic way to say it, but it's, it's, it's got truth to it, it is kind of like we've hit a wall with our approach, because now if we were going to keep trying to have two identical services, have a little bit in it that would appeal to everybody and, and help meet everybody's worship needs, because we all have a need to worship God, what we would have to do, if we're going to try to reach people who've not grown up in a traditional environment, we would have to continue to add one after another, after another, after another, contemporary elements to our current service. That would involve the, what we do with lights, it would involve what we do with sound. It would involve uh, singing even more contemporary music. And if we did that with the hope of reaching uh, a more contemporary audience or a less, a less uh, traditional audience, you say, well, would you reach them or not? I don't know. Maybe we would, maybe or wouldn't. But I'm afraid if we go down that road, we're going to go so far from where we currently are that the hundreds of people who currently say, I like First Baptist Church just like it is. I mean, that's why I go there, because I like it as it is. I think we're going to just run off and leave that group, and they would say, what in the world have y'all done to my church? I don't even recognize it anymore. You've just gone too far. And so what I'm saying is we've hit a, we've hit a wall, and we've got to do something. Now, what do you do when you hit a wall? Well, you know, one thing you can do is just gripe about the wall. And you can just say, well, it ought not be that way. People ought not to be that picky. They ought to just be able to come in here and worship God no matter what kind of music we sing. And you know, there's a part of me that feels that way. I could worship God. I grew up in the church. I, hey, when I sing these old hymns, for example, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I think about the assurance of the salvation that I have. That song speaks to my heart. I've been singing that song all my life. That was on page 334 in the Baptist hymnal I grew up with. <laughs> And, and victory in Jesus was 375, and amazing grace was 165. Man, I know holy, holy, holy was page one. We sang that song earlier today. And you know, back in the 1990s, they redid the Baptist hymnal, and they put holy, holy, holy on page two. And I said, this is sacrilegious. I'll never use that hymnal again, because <laughs> it's not what I'm used to. I never did like that hymnal. I don't like it now. But... But what I'm saying is, so when I sing those old songs, they speak to my heart, not only because they have beautiful words and great theology, they have tremendous theology, 
But, but I have a history with those songs. Man, I grew up underneath those songs. It is well with my soul. I've sung that song through every season of my life. And I think about things I've been through, things God's brought me through. And we sing it is well with my soul. And I think, thank God it is well with my soul. Amen. So I have a history with those songs. But what we have to understand, there are now two generations that we're trying to reach who don't have a history with those songs. They didn't grow up singing those songs. And as much as I love them and as much as they mean to me, they don't, they don't really, except for the beautiful message, people don't have a history. But those who've grown up, uh, like for example, I think about students who have grown up in our church. And while they were growing up through the youth program, they had a Wednesday night youth service which is 100% contemporary. Lights are down. It's all the new songs. And so when those kids were coming up through that, they felt like, well, we have a contemporary option because we're getting that on Wednesday night. And then they come to church on Sunday, and it was more of like a blended option. And they say, well, that's okay because we're still getting our, our contemporary kind of worship in our language on Wednesday nights. But see, once they graduate high school, then what do they have? Well, they don't have that contemporary op option at First Baptist. So what do they do? Well, many of them stay in the church, thank the Lord. Many of our people who've graduated high school are now in college or they're young adults or young marriage and are still right here with us. But if you talk to that group, they're going to say, man, we're here because we love the church. We love y'all. We love the people. This is our home church. But we, we wish we had a more contemporary option. Others are not as loyal. And they just quit going to church altogether because they say, well, this church no longer has something that would really meet my worship needs. And then some of them probably just say, well, we're going to find one of these 20-year-old churches or a new church or a, a more contemporary church, and we're going to go there. And on top of that, we have other people all the time visiting our church. Some Sundays you see a lot of people join, some people a few join, some people not even. But I mean, God's still blessing us. First service, somebody was baptized this morning. People are getting saved around here. Good things are happening. But we have a fair number of people visit our church, and when we call them or try to talk to them about joining, they say, hey, Love the church. Everybody's nice to me. Love the service. Actually, love the service, but we're used to a more contemporary worship experience. And so we wish y'all had that. Now, what do the people do in that condition? Well, some of them join and they just say, well, you know, I, I'm probably, I'm, I'm just accustomed. I think really when it comes to worship, what we like is what we're used to. That's bottom line. It, it's what we're comfortable with. And so if somebody has grown up in a youth service, in a, in a contemporary church, or in no church at all, just listening to what's on, just listening to the music and the culture on the radio. Well, they're getting more contemporary stuff. And so where does that leave First Baptist? It leaves us. We've hit a wall. What do we do? Do we gripe about it? No, we're not going to do that. What we've tried to do is to push the wall back and say, well, we're going to just keep trying to add components to these services. But again, we're at a point now if we, really, if we really went anywhere near as far as we would have to go to hopefully reach that audience, we would go right off the reservation for those who wanted a more traditional service. And I certainly understand that. I'm kind of right in the middle because I grew up in the church. I know I can quote a bunch of the hymns. I love the hymns. They speak to my heart. But from 1995 to 2002, I was a student minister of this church. Every service I was in with those students uh, was a contemporary service. And I see my buddy right there, Andy Baker, who was, grew up in the program. And we have others here in the youth ministry back when I did it that long ago. So during those years, I developed a love for contemporary music because I thought, you know what? These songs are different, but they're beautiful songs. Jesus Messiah, and that's not new anymore, but that's still a contemporary song. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. 
Well, that says a lot right there. Even when Gaithers were, when the Gaithers were here the other night, they sang that. They sang Chainbreaker. I asked Bill Gaither during the intermission, what's your two cents? And it'd be way more than two cents. He basically wrote the Baptist hymnal. I mean, or wrote a lot of it. And his, he, he is to Christian, Christian music what the Beatles were to pop culture. That's the bottom line on that. And I, but he's fresh. He said, John, he said, I'm telling you, every church I go to, they're trying to figure out how do you, how do you have the music for those who've grown up in the church and love those hymns? And then how do you have another service or do something, even if it's not another service, for those who have a more contemporary persuasion? He said, after the intermission, we're going to go out there and sing Jesus Messiah. We're going to sing Chainbreaker. And so we've hit that wall. What do we do? Well, I don't think we ought to gripe about it and just say, well, everybody ought to just grow up and get over it. Now, that's not going to take us anywhere. I don't think we ought to keep pushing that wall back farther because we're still not going to push it far enough to reach who we're trying to reach, and we're going to push it too far to keep happy the people who, and the majority of the people are already happy here. I think, and we think, and when Dad was referring to a rhema, what we feel in our hearts is that we just need to knock the wall down and start a contemporary worship service at the 11 o'clock hour. And that, that, that would give people an option... <laughs> To, that would give people an option to, if they wanted the contemporary service, well, here it is at 11. If you wanted what we're doing now, they're going to still have that at 930. In fact, the 930 service could actually get even bigger and better than it is now because it's possible that this choir that is seated behind us right now, if, now who knows what, who, who knows what the choir is going to do, right? Who knows? But if, for, for the sake of the argument, if that whole choir said, we want to stay and go to the choir and be at 930, I'm not saying that will happen, but if it did, you'd have a lot bigger choir at the uh, 930 hour. Some of them may say, well, you know, I, I may, if they work with students, they're going to have a, that's a tough, that's a tough deal. They're going to have to make a decision. Do I come to the 11 o'clock contemporary service or do I not work with students so I can go to the 930 more blended service. So, Jimmy, speak to that 930. I mean, nothing's really good. That's going to still be like it is, right? right? First of all, aren't you glad to be in a church that just seeks to win people to Jesus? Amen. That's really what this is all about. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. That's the main thing. But just so you'll understand the nuts and bolts of this thing, at 930 we'll have a service just like we had this morning. It'll be just like this. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll have a service. It'll be much more contemporary. No choir, no orchestra. The orchestra and the choir will all be in the 930 service. And that'll be a service for people that need, want a more contemporary way to worship. And it's going to mean a lot of things. You've got to make some, some people got to make some choices. It's going to make, mean some difference in connection groups. They'll explain that in a minute. But all in all, this church has a history of doing things to win people for Jesus. Amen. Through its years. We've moved count several times. The church has moved several times. Since I've been here 27 years, we've done all kinds of different things, some crazy, some not so crazy, but the ultimate goal of that was always to win people to Jesus. And that's what this is all about, really. That's the bottom line. And you know, I feel so blessed not only to work with my dad, but I feel so blessed to work with Jimmy Herwick. And, and if I talk about either one of those guys too much, I will start crying because I love these men. It's my father, man. This is my brother that we've been partners for. I've been here nearly 25 years. And what an honor it is for me to be in worship meetings with them on Tuesday. My dad is 78 years old. He could easily say, hey, man, y'all worry about that after I've gone to the mountains. Because y'all, I don't take that on in this. He's saying, no, God has given me strength. God has given me health. We want to reach people. It may not be easy. We're going to do whatever we got to do to reach people. And Jimmy Herwin saying the same thing, the same thing. 
And that blesses me. It would be easy just to say, hey, man, when we're gone, you figure that one out. But no, they're, in the, they're right in that with say, hey, we want to reach people. And it may be a, an adjustment. It's a change for all of us, but we want to reach people now. Three things at the end that I think kind of wrap this up. Where, what do we do now? Well, the first thing we need to begin doing immediately is we need to begin praying Pray. that God would lead us to the right person to lead that 11 o'clock contemporary service. Now, we've talked to a couple of, to one person specifically, and that person right now just doesn't feel that they're released from where they are, and so we respect that. But we're praying, and we ask you to begin praying. When we first started talking about this, I said, Dad, maybe we should not even share all this until we have the person. Maybe that would be better. And he said, well, I actually think it'd be better to share it now and just put it out there and just go out there and, and tell the people what's going on and ask them to pray. So he's right, and that's what we're doing. We're, t- we're asking you to pray when we're this early on in the process. I mean, it's almost like we have come from a worship meeting to the church. I mean, just saying, this is just raw and from our hearts. And so we ask you to pray about that, that God would lead us to the right person. We want that person to have experience leading a worship service and we also want that person to have a minister's heart, not just to be a musician who yeah, performs, right. but to join our staff, to get to know the people, and to be a part of this family. And that's, what, that's very important for us. Second thing that we need to do is be patient on that because it's not, that person's not going to be here next week, okay, no. and, or not going to be here next month. It normally, like if, if, if how long it's taken us to replace student ministers is any indication of what we're into now, and it may not be. It's taking between nine months and 12 months to fill that position. And so maybe it'll take a little shorter than that. Maybe it'll take that long. I don't know. But you know how I look at that? I believe God's sovereignty control. Here, if somebody said, John, when, when's the new contemporary service going to start? Here's the answer to that question. It will begin at the time of God's choosing. That's what I feel comfortable saying, at the time of God's choosing. And then the third thing we have to do, and we don't need to do this yet, but I'm, putting this, I'm planting a seed, putting it in the back of your mind, we need to begin at some point preparing for that service. You say, what do you mean? Well, just as we said, I think personally, I think the services will be close to the same size. I mean, I think the 930 will be a very good attendance. I think the 11 o'clock will be a good attendance. But there may be some, this is the service that our hearts really go out to. Because like, for example, the 930 service, if they said, well, we like everything as it is, they don't have to change anything because they already got that, sir. This service, if you say, well, I don't really, I'm, I'm glad y'all are doing that. It's going to reach the new generation. I'm all for that. But me personally, I would rather be in this service, or the more blended service. Well, you would want to go to the 930 worship service, which means now there's a Sunday school issue or a connection group issue. Now, if your entire connection group is in agreement with you, you just would flip to the other hour. If there's some in your connection group or Sunday school class that want the contemporary and others say, well, I'm glad they're doing that, but I really prefer the more blended style. Then think about this. This is going to be one of the best things that ever happened. If I could pick on Steve Fleming for just a minute, because Steve, I picked on you in the first service and you weren't here to take up for yourself. So, but Steve is one of our Sunday school teachers, has, I guess, maybe the largest, one of the largest classes in the church. So let's just say they have 80 or 90 or more people in that class. And let's say 50 of them say, well, you know, we, we're glad they're doing the contemporary, but we really like the more blended service. So we want to go to the service at 930 and 11 o'clock Sunday school. So what would Steve do? He would start teaching at 11 and come to the 930 worship service. But he's still got 30 or 40 people in that class who would say, yeah, but we really want to go to the contemporary service. So now their class is kind of divided. What do we do? It's going to be one of the best things. It's going to create some organized chaos at First Baptist Church. 
And that's not going to be the worst thing that ever happened. So what Steve would begin doing, he would just address this, like I'm addressing it now. And he would say, some of y'all want to go to this service, some of the other. What we need to do is raise up a new teacher. They're giving us a three-month head start or two or whatever it'll be. We need to raise up a teacher. We need to raise up a director. We need to raise up an outreach leader. And we need to start a new unit, which if that would happen all over the church, all the studies show us that the fastest growing connection groups and Sunday school classes are the new ones because they don't stagnate. And then new people go into it and they don't feel like they're walking in a class that everybody's been together for 10 years except them. Everything's new. So there's life in that. And so I know Steve would, he's he's a brother to me. Steve would embrace that and Renee and in their department, they would embrace doing that. And so he doesn't need to do it now, but at some point we would begin the process of preparing. Now tonight, and, and what I'm loving about the timing, we've got a new student minister coming to join Austin and Angie and uh, our prayer in, in, coming in June, our prayer and praise service now can begin to hone in on this. And like tonight, for example, I encourage all of you to be here for our prayer and praise service tonight. And I'm not even going to do a sermon. So that ought to be a draw right there. I mean, that'll really make you happy. It'll be standing room only in here tonight. No, hey, you watch that now. But, uh, so tonight, we're gonna, we've got beautiful music planned. We're going to just have a pure on prayer service tonight, praying about what we're sharing this morning. And you say, John, do you, can you guarantee us that with this new contemporary service that it's gonna, we're going to reach a lot of new people? No, I can't. Because I believe what the old hymn says, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. We're starting a new contemporary service because we feel God leading us to do it with the hope and prayer that we can reach tons of new people. But I want to be very clear on this on the front end. We're not putting our eggs in the basket of a contemporary service. We're not trusting a contemporary service, a blended service, or a traditional service. We are trusting Jesus Christ to bring people to himself if we'll lift up his name. That's who we're trusting. So we trust Jesus. We don't, we don't put our eggs in that. We don't, we don't build these buildings and say, if they build it, if we build it, they will come. Well, now you're trusting the building. I don't trust the building. The building's beautiful, but I trust Jesus and we continue to trust Jesus. And so tonight, if you could be here at 615, we're going to pray about this, commit this to God, pray his spirit would come down. And I believe my dad believes, Jimmy believes we're together that the best days of first Baptist church are not in the past. They're in the future. And God has given us a vision. And may we come in here on Sundays twice and then on Sunday night and see this room filled to overflowing with people worshiping and praising Jesus Christ. Amen. That's our prayer. And that's what we're believing is going to happen. I tell you, I think we just tell old John, he did a good job. (laughs) He did a good job. You know, I've thought about now, first of all, hey, we shared the vision. We don't have all the answers. We didn't have all the details. I've always believed when God tells the pastors, you tell the people, trust the people, and God will make it all clear.